Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Woo, how we doing, friends? Three to five jalapenos on the spicy scale today. Who's ready for it? Come on, somebody. It's going to be fun. We're going to have some fun. We are diving into this book of 1 Corinthians, and I, I love it because the Bible just holds no punches. It just goes there. It gets all up in our business, and it talks about things that we don't like to talk about. Often, we don't want to hear about, but my prayer for us today, and really my calling even as a pastor, is, is not always to say what we want to hear. It's not even always to say what the culture wants to say to us or what the culture says we should say according to scripture. My, my role and my aim today is to be faithful to God's word. Be faithful to what God's word actually teaches. To be faithful to what God was saying not just to Christians 2,000 years ago who turns out they lived in a very similar culture that we're in today but also to be faithful to what the timeless word of God says to us today. Amen? Amen. Hey, um, in case you didn't know, this weekend was a big weekend for all teams out of the state of Georgia. Um, I hope for those Giants fans in the room, which now I do consider myself a Giants fan, you are feeling avenged by the Atlanta Braves right now. The Dodgers fans don't like the Atlanta Braves, I understand, but the Giants fans are feeling avenged and... I'm scared to talk about my Georgia Bulldogs because they're doing so good, and I just don't, I don't want to mess anything up, so I'm going to wait till the end. So y'all get a break from it just because I'm nervous. I don't, I don't want to put my hope in the Georgia Bulldogs. They've destroyed me so many times, so I've learned my lesson about that, but fun weekend for sports for sure. So hey, today we're, we're continuing on, as I mentioned in our series on the book of 1 Corinthians, we are plowing through this amazing book. And last week, as we got into the topic of sexuality and freedom and what Paul is saying about that, really this week, if you look at chapter 7, so 6 and 7 are somewhat of a unit here, it just continues on in the topic of singleness, of marriage, of all these different things. And it's so powerful and so relevant for us today. And so my title for today's message, if you're taking notes, is Sex, Love, Marriage, and Singleness. Sex, Love, Marriage, and Singleness according to the scriptures, according to 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. Last week we talked about this idea of sex, selfishness, and true freedom. And specifically this idea, if you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back and check it out, how we live in a culture that says, freedom, at the end of the day, is my ability to do what I want, when I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, that's what freedom is, to follow my desires, to follow my passions, that's what freedom is. When in fact, Paul says, actually, freedom is the opposite. True freedom, in fact, is found in self-control. The ability to to see the passions and desires inside of you that maybe aren't for your good, that maybe aren't for your flourishing as a human, that maybe aren't God's best for you, and to be able to look at those desires and say no to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we all know what it feels like to be enticed or swept away by certain desires 
that are not good for us. We all know what it feels like to be enticed or swept away by things that may not be for our good. And so my, my goal today, I have a couple goals for today, is to, is to define some of these things. To help us understand that love is not just about the freedom of choice, but it really is, at the end of the day, it's about laying your life down for another. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, real love, that Christ laid down his life for his friends. This reality of sacrificial giving, sacrificial laying down of one's life, and especially in the context of marriage. And I know in a room like this today, there are many people that are not married, or many people who have been married, or been burned by marriage, or had a bad experience, or whatever it may be. In this room, there are more situations on these topics than any of us could possibly imagine. So it does feel a little bit like stepping out into a minefield today. But the truth is this, I believe God's word can meet each of us where we are. God's word can meet each of us where we are in this journey. And so if you're married today, my prayer and goal for you is to strengthen your marriage, that you would walk away with more resolve and more strength and more joy in your marriage. If you're single today and you're longing to be married, looking for that someone, been waiting for that someone for a long time. My, my prayer and hope for you today as we unpack this passage of scripture is that you would find hope and strength for the journey. You would find hope and strength for the journey and see the big picture of what Paul is talking about, of what God lays out for us, and you'd find hope today. For all of us, my prayer is that the future hope, what Paul presents to us in these passages, the future hope of resurrection and Jesus Christ coming to make all things new would radically transform how we view sexuality, relationships, marriage, and singleness because Christianity, and I said this last week, Christianity is not a get through this life, die, and go to heaven religion. And we all become fat babies floating on clouds. It's not what it is. Christianity is about heaven coming back to earth. It's about God coming back and restoring all things. And, and for those who die in Christ, for those who go to sleep, as the New Testament calls it, in death, they will be raised again to new life. And so that truth, that reality, which most of us don't live like that's real, we don't even ever think about it, me included. But Paul says if that reality anchors down into your soul, then you can find contentment, joy, you can flourish, you can find peace and hope no matter what your situation is today. No matter how on the rocks your marriage is, no matter how lonely and depressed you may feel over your singleness, no matter what you're facing today, God says there is hope for you because this is not the end of the story. There's a day coming for those who hope in Christ that when he returns, all the pain of this life, all the brokenness, all the mistakes, all of it, will be redeemed and made new. That's the Christian hope, and that is what God says can transform everything about our experience of life today. Some ground rules for today. Some things to, uh, to, sh to shape our time. Number one, this one's big. This is for you. Not for your spouse. Not for your best friend, not for your friend that you hope should hear this or whatever. 
It's for you today. God's word wants to speak to you. Number two, uh, we're all sexually broken. Come on, somebody. Not a single person in this room is sexually perfect or has lived up to God's perfect standard. So the goal, therefore, is not to shame anyone for your past, for your mistakes, for the ways that your decisions don't line up with God's word. That's not the goal. Condemnation and shame do not help in this conversation. We are all level at the foot of the cross. We're all in need of grace. The goal for today is to help people who maybe are in bondage find freedom, to bring some clarity to the biblical view of sexuality, which has been so mis misrepresented by culture, and really to take shame off the table and say, hey, would you please shame off the table, open your heart and mind to see what God might actually have to say to you in this conversation. Number four, grace always offers a fresh beginning, a fresh start no matter where you're at today. And number five, be open to what God's word may say to us, to us. Okay, let's start here. I want to go back to a quick um, overview from last week, a quick background on the city of Corinth, because in order to understand why Paul is writing this letter, what he's addressing here, you have to understand what the Corinthians were facing, especially the Corinthian Christians. And friends, don't miss this. Huge, massive, blinking red lights at the beginning of his sermon. Paul is writing this sermon to Christians who are dealing with all sorts of sexual brokenness. So if you're a Christ follower in the room today and you're like, yeah, I got some struggles here, whether I'm single or married or whatever, I got some issues in this area. You're in good company. So did the Corinthians. And Paul addresses them at the beginning of the book and he says, to the saints in Corinth, those beloved of God, grace and peace to you. He doesn't start off with, yo, get your act together. You got a lot of issues over there. He doesn't start there. He starts with, you're loved by God. You're saints. You're beloved. Grace and peace to you, those in Corinth. So that's how we're framing the conversation. But Corinth was right here on this little piece of land connecting two bodies of water. It connected Macedonia, Epirus, a lot of this northern area, all the way into the Mediterranean Sea, heading into Asia. Um, Israel, Jerusalem, down to Egypt. And so it was a very important city, very important city. And uh, around 156 BC, it was actually destroyed by the Romans. The Romans swooped in and they conquered Corinth and they, they raised the city to the ground. But very quickly, the Roman Empire realized, oh, um, this is an important city. We actually need the city here because it helps us transport goods from Macedonia to the rest of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, this is a really easy spot to transfer spices and any sorts of merchandise from one area to the next. We don't have to go through all this land. We can take it from boat to boat. And it's a very important location with access to Athens, to um, Ephesus, to all these other major cities. And so they began to rebuild Corinth. And... It became a boom town, a boom city. It was the city of opportunity. Nobody was from there. Nobody was from there. Everybody moved there to pursue a dream or make money. It was like San Francisco during the tech boom or like New York City or LA. It was a magnetic city that gave you promises of success and a future if you had the chops to make it. 
But there was tons of pressure to make it. It was filled, the city was filled, we know, through Josephus and other historians with young people looking for a shot. Also in Corinth, I learned this this week, was Aphrodite's temple. This massive temple on the hill above the city. And Aphrodite, as we know, was the Greek goddess of love. And part of the way that you worshipped in Aphrodite's temple and part of the way that Aphrodite's temple and the priests made money was through prostitution, which was a completely socially acceptable means of having sex outside the marriage, especially for a man. There was, there was a lot of, there was a double standard between men and women, and women were not allowed to stray outside of the marriage, but men could as long as it wasn't with another married woman. Their solution was prostitution. And so every night, roughly a thousand temple prostitutes would come down into the city. There was so much sexual activity in the city of Corinth that the ancient world came up with a verb to describe Corinthians. <laughs> they said, you know, have you been Corinthianized, essentially? If you were a Corinthianizer, it meant you were fully living it up in every single way possible in the city of Corinth. That is the context to which Paul is writing this letter. And the Corinthians, they had a value system. There were things that they valued in this city. They valued money. I need to make more money. I've got to climb that ladder. They valued power and influence. I want to climb the ladder of success. I want to be the merchant that all the sailors come to to transport the goods across this little mass of land. Number three, they valued sexual freedom. My body is my own. I can do what I want with it. You're not the boss of me. Don't tell me anything in this area. Now, for the Christians who got saved, who came to Christ, talk about sticking out like a sore thumb because they were the complete opposite. They didn't, they didn't cling to money as though it were sacred. They gave it away generously. I got money. It's not mine. God gave it to me. I'm just a steward. Here, have some. Here, have it. It's not even mine. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to help the poor. I'm going to give money away freely. It's not sacred to me in that way. I'm a steward. In terms of power and influence, they said, look, if God gives me influence, great. I'll use it for his glory. But my identity is not going to be anchored to my success to whether I make it in this town or not. They gave away power and influence. They gave away money, but when it came to their bodies, they didn't do that. They lived opposite. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, Christians were promiscuous, talking about Corinthians, with their money, but not with their bodies. He said, this was an ancient Corinthian letter from Christians in that day. They said, we share our table with all, but we do not share our bed with all. And it was this completely opposite worldview from the culture in which they lived. A completely opposite worldview. The, the value system of Christians was opposite of the culture of their day. And as a result, the Corinthians thought they were nuts. Who would live like this? You guys are missing out on all the good stuff. Money, power, sex, that's the good stuff. You're, you're treating it completely opposite than we are. What is going on with you guys? Why are you choosing to do this? Now, as a result, you can imagine there was great pressure among the Christians in that culture to do one of two things. One of two things. Either they'd go back to their old way of life, 
I mean, it was coming down from the temple every night. It was right in front of their face. All their friends were doing it. I'm just gonna go back to my old way of life. I can't, I can't do this. This is just too narrow of a lifestyle. I, I need more freedom than this. Or number two, they saw it like this. I'll put both these up here. Number two, they would avoid it at all cost. So they had two views on sex that Paul is addressing. One, it's just an appetite to feed. Or two, it's dirty and should be avoided at all cost. These were the two views that Paul was addressing. And he goes, eh, both wrong. It's not right. He's talking to Christians here, right? And so there's a couple verses here that I want us to read to see this for ourselves. He says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20. And we looked at this a little bit last week. He said, all things, this is what the Corinthians were saying. He's quoting the Corinthians. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. What on earth does that mean? <laughs> Let me just summarize this few for you. Number one, sex is an appetite to feed. It's like a desire for food. We all need to eat. We all need sex. If I'm hungry, I eat. If I desire sex, I have sex. It's just a bodily appetite. What's the big deal? Food for the stomach, stomach for food. God will destroy them, them both. This body is finite. This life is finite. What matters is the spirit. I'm saved by grace. My soul is saved. It doesn't matter what I do with my body, Paul. It's fine. It's all good. No big deal, right? And Paul goes, actually, it matters a lot. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's sacred to God. You're now the dwelling place of God. How you hold your body and what you do with your body is super important to God. And in the other view, we see it here in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Again, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So he's responding to a letter they wrote to him. And they said, the Corinthians said, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. He even goes on further. He goes, it's good for him not to get married. It's good not to even touch a woman. That sex thing, man, it's awesome. It's good. It's really enticing. Had a lot of good times back in the day before I got saved. Um, so therefore, I'm just avoiding it at all cost. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be holy because really, you know, purity and holiness is, has nothing to do with all that, you know, dirty sex stuff. And Paul's addressing both of these and he goes, both are wrong. That's not the biblical view of sexuality. It's not even what God is saying here. He says, God has given us like a river, two embankments. The embankments of a river, when a river overflows, it banks. When our sexuality goes beyond the embankments that God has given for us, it can cause massive damage and destruction in our lives. Probably most of us have experienced the devastation that can be caused when this area of sexuality overflows the banks of the river, whether through things like abuse, betrayal, whether through things like addiction. There's many different areas where we felt the sting of it. We felt the pain of it. And God says, it's a beautiful gift. It's something that I've given you to be cherished in the right context. But when it goes beyond the bounds of where I've designed it to be, it can cause great harm for people. And so he goes into this in 1 Corinthians 6, 15 to 16. He says, here's what God says about this. And we're going to unpack this. 
Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You're part of the body of Christ. You're the hands and feet of Jesus, right? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Now, don't get hung up on that word right there. He's not just talking about prostitution in this scenario. He's addressing the Corinthian men, but he, he makes it broader here in a second. He goes, would I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now at first glance there, that verse right there, if you're new to church, or maybe you've been around church for a while, but you're skeptical of church, you're like, yep, that right there, that is why I don't go to church. That's why I don't like Christians that is so prudish and archaic and judgmental and my gosh, you're canceled. At first glance, because of how the culture has interpreted this verse, man, that, that right there is hitting some buttons in some of you that are deep and I wanna give us some context for this, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay out the banks of the river and then I'm gonna just say, look, the banks of the river and the reality of God's design, again, are not to fill you with shame or condemnation in any way. It's to say, would you consider how God designed this? And then let me explain to you why. Let me explain why. So God's design is this. He designed sex to be enjoyed in the context of marriage between a husband and wife as an expression of whole life union as long as they both shall live. It's how it started in the very beginning. This has been God's design from the beginning. On one level or another, all of us have fallen short of this. All of us. You say, well, I've never cheated on my wife, or I've never this out of the other. It doesn't matter. God, Jesus goes into this at deeper levels with heart, mind, intentions. All of us are sexually broken. But what Paul is saying here, and what I want us to focus on, is this word, body and why Paul would say something like this, why he would give us the embankments of a river like this, okay? The word in Greek for body is soma, S-O-M-A, and it doesn't have a great equivalent in English. The word in Greek doesn't just mean your physical body, it means your whole life means all of you, everything that makes you a person. God designed us as integrated beings. You see, the, the Corinthians had a false view. They said, hey, what I do with my body, it doesn't affect my spirit, my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. They're two separate things. The, the spiritual, the immaterial, and the physical, they're different things, okay? And so the truth is this. When, when the Bible says soma, when Paul says, hey, it's written, um, or do you not know that he was joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? What he's saying is not just body or sexuality. He's talking about your mind, your will, your soul, your emotions, your relationships, your finances, your dreams, your politics, all the way down, everything about your life, your social status. This is what it's talking about. And what Paul is saying, and he's not even trying to shame the Corinthian men's for the, men for this, he's saying, guys, your view of your sexuality is too low. I want to raise it way higher. And what I want to say to you is this, God's design is that you would not give your body away to someone without giving them the rest of your life, without giving them everything you are. Because you can't, you're an integrated person made in God's image. You can't just take this part, put it over here, and and act like it doesn't matter. He goes, all of this is one thing. 
Now, if you look at all that we are, right, mind and will, we can give certain parts of who we are to other things without any consequence. You can give your mind and your will to your work, and that's a good thing. You want to think hard about your work and give your will towards working hard as unto the Lord. It's not sinning. You're giving that away in an appropriate place. You can give even your heart and your soul and your emotions to your kids, to your family, to friends, your relationships, your finances. All these sort of things can be, can be used in other contexts. But Paul says something very unique about our bodies, specifically our sexualities. He says this, when, if, Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. He says this is unique to everything else that makes you up. He's saying something revolutionary here. The world has never heard anything like this. The Christian view of sexuality was completely unique. Everyone else just said, do what you want with your body and the rest of your life is yours. Doesn't matter, they're separate. And Paul is saying something so important. He says your body is so sacred, so special that you cannot give it away to just anyone unless it's in the context of also giving that person your whole life and them giving you their entire life. Conversely, if you don't give yourself fully to your spouse in marriage, if you withhold your soul, your emotions, your finances, your will, your mind, all these different things, the marriage doesn't work. It goes both Ways He says, look, to become physically vulnerable with somebody through the act of sex, to become physically vulnerable means that you must become vulnerable in every other way, emotionally vulnerable, financially vulnerable. Your priorities become vulnerable. Amen, somebody. Priorities change when you get married. Your social life, your social status. If you don't become vulnerable in every other way, you block them from the real you. You hang on to your independence. Paul is saying that what you do with your body must reflect what you're willing to do with the rest of your life. If you agree to marry someone, what you're really doing is agreeing to become vulnerable and losing your independence. Vulnerable and losing your independence. But when we choose, as the Corinthians did, to give our bodies away to whomever, whenever, however, and we hold on to the rest of our life, what we're saying is, I just want you to fulfill this, but I really don't want to give give you any other part of me. I'm keeping that for myself. And what God says is, yeah, you can do that for a while, but you're living as a split person. You're not living as a holy or fully integrated person. Anthony Thistleton, uh, one of the commentaries I read this week, he said this, far from devaluing sex, Paul here does the very opposite. He is far ahead of first century cultural assumptions. He describes a sexual act of self-commitment that deeply involves the whole person. F.F. Bruce, another commentator, said it like this, God made us whole people. And in Christ, he has redeemed us wholly. In the Christian view, there's no dichotomy between body and spirit that either indulges the body sexually because it's irrelevant or avoids sexual intimacy so as to purify the spirit. He goes, you can't go either way. 
Sex was designed by God to be enjoyed in the context of marriage as a symbol of giving yourself to someone else so deeply and completely that literally it changes every part of you. Every part of you. What we see in the scripture is that sex and marriage are not just about happiness and self-fulfillment, but also personal transformation and holiness. God designed it that way. Physical oneness without whole life oneness is living a divided life. Yet we live in a culture that accepts bodily union without life union. It's normal. It's celebrated. To hold on to your independence. Hold on to your life. Who knows how this is going to go. Let's give it two or three or four years and really get to know one another. Make sure it's right. And God is saying, look, it's, it's not the ultimate sin. It's not like, and this drives me nuts. I mean, sometimes people elevate sexual sin above all the other sins. That's not what Paul is doing here. He's not saying this one's special or really bad or whatever. What he is saying is you can't give your body without giving the rest of your life. That's how God designed it. But what's actually happening here is he's not elevating it above everything else. The goal is not to bring shame and condemnation as though this is the worst thing ever. And oh my gosh, if you sin sexually, you're going to hell. Here's what I know for sure. If you don't sin sexually, if somehow you are perfect sexually, that is not what gets you into heaven. Sin is not what sends us to hell. We're going to be sinners until the end, saved by grace, okay? And our our assumed holiness is not what gets us into heaven. That is faith in Christ alone. That's the gospel. So these areas right here are things that God wants to bring us through, to help us through, to help us understand why he said that. He's not shaming or coming down with a hammer. He's like, guys, I designed it. I designed you. I designed your hearts. And here's how it works best. Trust me on this one. That's what he's trying to say. And then we get into Ephesians 5. Listen to this as God unpacks what marriage is through Paul. He goes, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's what love is. It's not just a freedom to do what you feel. It's not just a freedom to, to, to selfishly indulge every desire. It's to give yourself away to somebody completely. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Soma. Just as you would take care of all of your life, take care of her. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body, his soma, his whole life. Friends, do you see what Paul is saying here? Jesus gave his entire life for you and me. All of it. He didn't hold anything back. He went all in for you so that we could be united as one, that he could raise us to new life and so that he would never leave us or forsake us. And he goes, your marriage... And we'll see in a second, even your singleness is meant to be a, a pointer to the gospel that God said, I'm giving you everything, I'm becoming vulnerable for you, I'm losing my independence, and I'm fully uniting with you to raise you to new life, and that, you staying married, you being in the heat, in the fight, in the battle, and choosing to stick it out when everything's hard is actually a testimony to the world, wow, something bigger's going on here. Something bigger is happening here. 
And again, all of us have fallen short. Grace gives us a fresh start. There's a new beginning today. And then Paul gets into this idea of marriage and singleness. Some of you are like, I already lost that battle. I lost that fight. I didn't hold the line there. Start fresh today. 1 Corinthians 7, 27 through 31 says, are you bound to a wife? This is so radical and so just not what we hear. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, again, he's speaking to men here, but this applies to all of us. If you do marry, you have not sinned. And if betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And all the married people said, amen. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. What does that mean? Not what you think it means, men, okay? Those who have lives, wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. This is unbelievable what Paul is saying here. Absolutely revolutionary. He goes, friends, don't you give it? Don't you get it? You live in the overlap of the ages. Christ came once and he died as a sacrifice for sin and he inaugurated the age of the spirit to save your soul. And now, because he rose from the dead, we know he's returning again one day. We live in the overlap of the ages. This world in its present form is passing away. And so what you buy, what you sell, what you mourn over, what you rejoice over, who you marry, whether you stay married or single or whatever it is, he goes, ultimately, those are not the biggest deals in life. And you're like, Paul, they kind of feel like big deals. I'm single and I really want to get married. Been single for a long time. I can't imagine living the rest of my life without a spouse, without someone I can share my life with. Or I've been married for a long time, Paul, and I can't imagine staying married one more minute. This is horrible. Or, hey, I just want to get more worldly goods. He goes, those who buy and those who sell should live as though they have no goods. Those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, guys, everything you're going through here, and I know it's hard. We live in the overlap of the ages, but it's temporary. And in a blink, it's over. You need to see what's coming. This little blip of time called your life, it's important, it matters. You're gonna go through pain. You're gonna have lonely nights. You're gonna have big fights. You're gonna have moments where you're like, I wish it was over, I wish it was done. And God says, hang in there. There's a day coming where I'm wiping away every tear from every eye. There's resurrection coming, I'm gonna make it all new. I'm gonna take it back to the way it was intended to be in Eden. And when you get there, Whatever you went through in this life, you're gonna look back and be like, wow, it just, all the pain, all of the the stuff, all the junk that I faced as a single person, as a married person, God is working backwards, says C.S. Lewis, to redeem and heal all of it. To redeem and heal all of it. Paul says there is a bigger picture going on here, friends, and we live... It's an amazing book by a guy named Ernest Becker called The Denial of Death. 
It says this. We're the first society, secular Western society, who has a widespread belief that when you die, you go to extinction. Our existence is temporary. When you die, that's it. When the sun burns out, all life is over. There has never been a society that had such a low significant on human existence before. And then he makes his jump, and it's so true. He goes, as a result, there's never been a society that has been more obsessed and put so much emphasis on romantic infatuation, romantic freedom, romantic desires. If this life is all you have, and the one thing that you long for more than anything else is an intimate connection with somebody else, and there's nothing else coming after this, you're going to go for it. There are no boundaries on the river. I just need to know that I'm loved, that I'm accepted, that, that somebody else sees me and accepts me for who I am. And so instead of God being that source of fulfillment and acceptance for us, we go to the next best, next best thing, romantic fulfillment. We swipe left, we swipe right, we endlessly look for true love because that's the only thing that can even come close to what God offers us in the gospel. The longing for love is not bad. The desire to be married or to find that someone is not bad. But friends, let me just say this. When you get married, it will never, ever live up to the hype. And marriage is awesome. I love my wife. Don't take that wrong. I'm just saying. Marriage is a beautiful gift. But the single people in the room are saying, if I can just find that right someone. Stanley Hauerwas says, the moment you find the right person, it doesn't take very long to figure out, wow, I married the wrong person. Not who I thought they were. We always marry the wrong person. The goal of love, the goal of marriage is to find out how to love and serve the person to whom you're married to. The stranger that you don't even know. Who never puts the lid back on the toothpaste. I'm not going to let you know if that's me or her. <laughs> Friends, we live in the overlap of the ages. The present form of this world is passing away. And what Paul is saying to us here is he's saying, God, God has a design for this. It's so important. And all of us are broken. All, I mean, look, I get it. The, I, I just know a handful of situations personally in this room that, that break my heart that are hard. I don't have clean, perfect answers for this. I'm not trying to give clean, perfect answers to all the complications of sexuality that all of us face, all the relational stuff that we're going through, all the things. This, this is not just a slap a sticker on it, fix the problem sermon. That doesn't happen in sermons. That happens in the context of relationships and counseling and repentance and going low and getting up again and bringing others into your struggle and your journey. That's the Christian life, friends. That's the Christian life. There are no easy answers. And this area of sexuality, of singleness, of marriage is complicated. But for the single people in the room, know that marriage is not the answer. Christ is the answer. Know that the acceptance, the love, everything you deeply long for, and I'll ask the band to come out with this. Everything you most deeply long for is first found in Christ. And if you receive the love of God first, if you orient yourself to him first, it will begin to bring healing whether you're married or single. If you orient yourself to the fact that, look, the end of this life is not the end of this life. 
There's a future restoration coming. And no matter what I'm facing today, Jesus is with me. If you orient yourself to the fact that Jesus became vulnerable, he modeled this for us. He became completely vulnerable for us. He let go of his independence for us. He didn't just give us his body. He gave us his whole life, everything. As a fully integrated God-man, he gave himself for us and he united himself with us if we have faith in him to raise us to new life. The gospel, friends, is a picture. It's a picture of redemption, of God going first, of Christ loving us as husbands are called to love our wives and to understand that even though we live in a culture that says you can do whatever you want with your body, we serve a God who says, no, I I designed you as an integrated person. And I know there's struggles, and I know just like the Corinthians, there are good days and bad days, but the more you live as an integrated person, the more that you live into this reality of who you are as an image bearer of God, there will be healing, there will be freedom, there will be joy you never thought possible within God's design, in his plan. And friends, whether you're single or married, who you choose to marry or who you're with now, it's not about that person being a finished sculpture. It's about choosing a really good block of marble. It's about understanding that, man, I'm gonna be committed to making sure that person is is gonna become all they're called to be in God. Marriage and love is about the commitment to another person's good and I'm gonna be a part of God's process with grace and humility to help them become the finished product that God has always dreamed for them to be and the other person, the same for you. That's what creates a healthy marriage and for those who are single to remember, hey, you're looking for someone that can go on this journey with you, this process looking for someone who's humble, who has a desire to be shaped and molded into the image of God, who's gonna call you higher and serve you and go low for you. Friends, grace gives us a fresh start today. And the way we find the power to live like this, whether you're single or married or wherever in between, is at the cross. And you need to know today, God is for you, wherever you at. Wherever you're at in this journey, he is for you. He sees you, he knows it all. He sees me, he knows it all. And he goes, I love you, grace and peace to you. Through our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we're gonna take communion together now. And we're gonna remember that the invincible God became vulnerable for us, served us by giving us his life, and then raised from the dead that we could live forever. Lord Jesus, I ask right now for every person in this room that the power of shame in this area would be broken, that they would find strength today no matter what they're going through to live for you, to start fresh. That even if what I said today or what your word said today, they disagree with, Lord, I pray that there would be a season where they would openly think about it. And we'd be able to have conversations without yelling and conversations where we talk through the hard, difficult, gray areas of life in community, without anger and without shame. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you died for us. 
We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.